We are in a series of messages we have called Magnificent Seven. And we are looking at seven things that Jesus said about who he is. This is not Jesus uh, secondhand or Jesus uh, in someone else's opinion. This is Jesus in his own words. And if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 8 this week, John chapter 8, where Jesus, uh, we read last week in John's gospel, had said, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never be hungry, uh, just speaking about this, this powerful soul food that he offers us. And in verse 12 of John chapter 8, we find the second I am statement where he says this. Um, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. One more time. Let's read it. Just, just let these words hit you. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Father, we're so grateful that you've given us these precious red words. And through them, we get to understand more about who you are. And we need to keep growing in our understanding of who you are. And let that not be static, but dynamic and fluid and changing. And we just trust that you're going to give us more and more about who you are to deal with the uncertainties of the day and the difficulties and the trials that we face. And so we pray now for what your word says is necessary, that your spirit would open up the eyes of our hearts to see glorious truths in your word. We pray that if a single person has come in this week to church without God, without hope in this world, heavy-hearted, not knowing you, looking to this world to satisfy the emptiness within, we pray that you would draw them to yourself through your spirit. And we would see salvation take place here, like, like Paul describes, scales falling from his eyes. They would see you for the first time. And it would change everything. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Title of my message, if you take notes, is Spiritual Sunburst. Not spiritual starburst. That's a delicious treat. Spiritual sunburst. The sunburst is uh, an occasion where the sun breaks through the clouds and shines fully, even if just for a moment. Don't you love those, those moments when it's you know, cloudy and overcast? And, and, and just for a second, you just get the boom. You just almost feel like someone flipped a switch. Sunburst. I like that there's a word for that. I don't know if you've ever gone on vacation and needed some sun and been disappointed to find no sun. But you're just determined to, to experience the summer anyway. I did that one time. We, were, we had a couple days we had in Arizona. And you know, you're thinking Arizona, and you're thinking this is the place where the sun lives when it's not where we are. And, uh, and so you're excited. I was excited. And there was a pool there. I was like, we're going to lie by the pool. And it was so cold. It was, but I was down by the pool. And I'm like, this, I'm enjoying this. This is, this is this, this, my teeth are shivering. I didn't know it got so cold in the desert, uh, but I was I was freezing, and so I ended up you know wrapped up in towels. There's nobody else there. You know the people who live in Arizona, they're wearing ski gear. I mean they were it's 60. We're not going in. You know, but uh, I was but but there was just a few moments, and the reason I stayed there is because like every 15 minutes or something, there would just be a little bit of the clouds moving enough to where what? And I'm like ah, throw the towels off, soak up all the sun I can, and then you know shiver hunker back down because it was just this cold, mean, nasty wind. Sunburst. Someone say it with me. Sunburst. It's a brief moment where the clouds open, and there's just the powerful, bright, full sun that shines through. And that is Jesus to a T. 
in history. It's, it's there's clouds, but then you have Jesus. In Jesus, you have the clouds of obscurity and anonymity and the unknown God and some creator. But in Jesus, we have the sun shining through, the clouds parting, and the full sunlight, the, what, what, what can be known, what can be seen of God, the image of God. Uh, who, is, who is invisible, made visible in the face of Jesus' sunburst, but spiritual sunburst. Really, the story of the Bible, it's been said, can be summarized in the following four words, from darkness to light. I know it's 66 books in the Bible, but someone said you could just describe the whole thing as from darkness to light. Really, it's how the whole thing starts. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that everything on the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. From darkness to light. The same is true in the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. You understand how this whole thing ends with perfection, with life again, with light again, with us walking with God. And in that state, the Bible says in Revelation 22, look at it, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And in between the darkness turning into light in Genesis, and the darkness perpetually becoming the perfection of light in Revelation, we see, of course, the darkness of death creeping in, the darkness of guilt creeping in, the darkness of despair, the darkness of emptiness, the darkness of loneliness. And Jesus is God turning off the dark. That's what we have between Genesis and Revelation. We have us bringing darkness, us sinning, us going astray, all of us like sheep uh, who disobey their shepherd, and Jesus coming to turn off the darkness that we turned on in our disobedience. That's the gospel. In fact, the prophets looking forward, because the people walking in darkness, what did Isaiah say? That on this land where people were walking in darkness, he prophetically looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, and said, those people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Christmas is God turning on the light for those of us living in a land of darkness. Malachi, the prophet, said the same thing. He said, he said that the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his rays. This is figuring both the coming of Christ and the return of Jesus Christ, which we even today still wait for. It makes sense, then, that at Christ's coming to this world, those who got to be witness to it witnessed incredible, dazzling displays of light in the sky. Both the wise men who came seeking him with gifts and the shepherds who were keeping their sheep by night looked up and saw the glory of God surround, dazzling, like the aurora borealis, just all of a sudden, boom. Over, I like to think that it was just like God chose to just turn the northern lights on just for a minute over, over the Middle East, just because he owns the place, you know, literally. And, and then the angels are there singing, and just, but then it was gone as quick as it came, uh, certainly. In fact, God is someone who wears light like clothing. Paul, speaking of both his immortality and his luminosity. What? Big word, luminosity. Look what he said in 1 Timothy 6.16. He said, he alone, God, can never die. That's huge accomplishment. And he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him. 
nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. We can't see God. That's why he made himself visible to us in the person of Jesus Christ. It, light, though, is not just what God is. It is who he is. That's important to understand. It's not just what he is. It's who he is. For John tells us in 1 John, God is light. That's the message we've heard from him, right? All across the pages of scripture, God is light. God is light. In fact, John's gospel, if you flip back just a few pages, I don't have it to put up on the screen for you, but it says, describing the entirety of creation in another perspective, in the very beginning of John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All these things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Listen to me. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. From darkness to light, that is the story of scripture, and that is why Jesus Christ came, because God is light. But listen to me. It doesn't work backwards. Light isn't God. God is light, but light isn't God. God uh, is not less than light, but he is also more than light. He's not less than light, but he's so much more than light. He's not only light. First John also tells us God is love. So, so we understand that God is light. It's what he's surrounded by. Wherever he is, there is light, but light isn't God. We don't worship the sun as though we're God. That's pantheism. We're not worshiping you know, a created thing because God is light, but light isn't God. He's not less than light, but he's also more than light. I'm teaching some theology. Is that OK? Do you mind it a little bit? All right. So we understand God by understanding that he is light. And where he shines his light, darkness doesn't stand a chance. For light always wins. For all you have to do to drive out the darkness is to turn on the light. And that's why Eleanor Roosevelt was so smart to say you know, that we don't defeat darkness by yelling at it. We defeat darkness by turning on a candle, by lighting a candle, by lighting up a source of light. For where there is light, there cannot be any darkness. For darkness is simply the absence of light. Therefore, by definition, where light has been turned on, darkness has been turned off. And so we don't need to turn off darkness in our heart. We just need to turn on light, and it will do the job for us. And that's why all of this is why in the seven I am statements that we have given to us in the Gospel of John, one of them is that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. Now, to really understand this, we need to kind of approach it from three different perspectives. We need to, first of all, understand the metaphor being employed here. Secondly, we need to understand the magnitude of the moment. And then third and finally, we need to understand the mission this then presents to us, the mission then that we are on because of this. Let's start with the first, the, the metaphor. This is a metaphor. What do I mean? I mean, it's a spiritual sunburst. And yet, there are things about physical sunlight that God is like. God, like we said, isn't the sun. But he's like, in many ways, the sun that we actually have in terms of physical light. So when, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, the easiest thing to understand is the light that we have for our world. And it's called the sun. And it's a star. But the sun gives us three things. The sun gives us life. The sun, secondly, gives us vision. 
And the sun, thirdly, gives us joy or happiness and well-being. Without the sun, you couldn't have any of those things. Take the sun away from us. We're, we all die. We, it's, it's over, friends. But even if the sun just stayed behind the clouds for too long, life in a place would not be possible because crops would die. That's why sun, the, the plants and the trees and the flowers all grow stretching toward the sun. They stretch toward the sun because from the sun, they derive energy. They're able to convert oxygen or whatever into whatever and kick out oxygen as a waste product. And we're like, thank you. I'll take that, right? It's like they, they're able to drink the carbon dioxide. They're able to kick out the oxygen. They pull energy from the light to do this witchcraft thing called photosynthesis. And chlorophyll, more like borophyll, right? Anybody with me on some, some Adam Sandler solid, solid reference in, in that moment. Uh, but, but basically, the, the sun is what makes life possible on this planet. And so God is like that. That's why the metaphor of physical light actually works, because it, it's, it's like our dependence on the sun. And we can understand that and, and, and crawl, draw the lines and make the, the parallel to our dependence on God. We need God like people on the earth need the sun. From him, we get life, like the metaphor would suggest. Secondly, vision. We need the sun to have vision. There are two ways to know if I'm driving in my car down the street that there's a wall in front of me. There are two ways to know that there's a wall in front of me. One is to hit it, and the other is to see it. Those are the two ways. And if we didn't have a source of light in the, the room that we are in, if we didn't have a source of light, thank you, God, for hanging one in the sky for us that shows up when it's time to be awake. If we didn't have the ability to have lights, the only way we would see anything, if we were alive, which we wouldn't be, we've already established that, but let's say we figured out a way, right? We would bump into things. We would discover our environment. We would have the truth of our awareness situationally only by seeing it or by smashing into it. But the ability to see something, you're not actually seeing the thing. You're just seeing the light reflected off of it. Light hits this Bible and goes into my retina. It's a bank shot perpetually. That's how we see. You know, light traveling its waves travels from the source to a surface. The source to the surface, the surface to your eye. It goes into the pupil. It gets focused by the inner lens. It gets beamed under the rear wall of your eye, which is called the retina, a surface covered in millions of photoreceptors called rods and cones that take the information to the optic nerve, to your brain, for constant processing in real time. So it comes from a source. It goes to a surface. It comes into your eye. And, I, and we see things because of the light. We're not actually even seeing the thing. We're seeing the light come to us in it. So take colors. This is really where it gets messed up. And I had to spend a lot of time alone processing this in a quiet place this week. These things aren't actually the color that they are. They just have a pigment that, is, uh, that causes the light that hits it to bounce off in the color that you see. So what we call red, this block is absorbing all light except red. Red reflects off of it. That's why we see red. This block is actually every color but red, if you think about it. Because there are seven uh, colors in, in the rainbow, or so Isaac Newton said. Right? You could actually divide it to thousands. It's arbitrarily, but Newton's Newton, so we'll just go with his rainbow. Right? The, the, the light that bounces off is because this block reflects red, but it accepts all the other colors of the rainbow. It accepts all those colors. So it's actually those colors. 
it just rejects red, so it's kicking red off back to my eye and your eye, from a surface to our eyes, and so that's what we're seeing here. You know, here's the thing. It's crazy about this. If we turn all the lights off, this, red, this block wouldn't be red anymore. It would be black. For the only, light only occurs in our mind. Color only occurs in our mind, rather. For the light that we see comes into our eyes, and we see the light coming off of that surface because of the pigments. So without, listen to me, without light, there can be no color. Therefore, when you're in a black room, an orange is not orange in color anymore. It's just black. Everything that you think about, the colors of the clothes in your wardrobe, they're not that color. They're just that color as light bounces off of them and reacts with the pigments and comes into your eyes. So you're seeing the color in your mind. It's, I know. I, I, was, I, was just, I, was like, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I wasn't even high. I mean, it was just, I was having a totally high moment just thinking about there's no real color. It's just this light. We've all been lied. There is no spoon. Um, there's a third. The third, we've gotten pretty deep here. We're in it now, aren't we? Without the light, there is no life. Without light, there is no vision. And without light, there is no happiness or joy or sense of well-being. We know it's a fact that with, uh, with, with people who live at the poles, the North and the South Pole, there's higher levels of depression and despair that must be wrestled with because of lower levels of light. People who live in areas who get less light, they have a difficulty having a sense of happiness. For there is just happiness that comes from light. We know there's a vitamin D deficiency that can happen if you don't get enough sunlight to your skin. So what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm the light of the world, is he's saying, I'm like the sun. I'm like your, need on the, your, your dependence on the sun. You are, you are so uh, dependent on the sun for life and for sight and for a sense of well-being. And I'm like those things to you in how you actually need me. So that's the metaphor. And is that, is that helpful? Yeah. I think there's a second thing that even makes this more significant, not less, and it's understanding the magnitude of the moment. For Jesus was speaking into a situation that was ongoing. And if you had read John 7, and if you read the rest of John 8 into John chapter 9, you're seeing Jesus in his three and a half year ministry interacting with people at specific events. This specific event where he spoke these words, I'm the light of the world, were during a feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Jews had different feasts on their calendar, different parties on their calendar. One of them was the Feast of Tabernacles, which is when they looked back on the wilderness wanderings. And specifically, they celebrated God's faithfulness to them during that period of time, where for 40 years, they lived in the desert. And when they got thirsty, God gave them water from a rock. And so they had a party at one point where they would pour water out and, and, and prophesy, believing in faith that God was going to send now living water to them. There was, it literally looked backwards, but it also looked forwards, OK? Then there was, there was this awesome thing they did where they involved their kids. You always got to involve your kids in the spiritual discussion in life. And so what they would do is they would all move out of their homes. This is awesome. Some of them would move onto their roofs if they had a roof that allowed it. And others would move into their front lawn. There was also you know, just like RV park areas where if you lived in an apartment complex, you could all get a little bit of land somewhere in an open area. It was awesome. And you would build these little booths or little huts. So one of the nicknames of the Feast of Tabernacles was the Feast of Booths. And they would build these little huts or these little thatched palm frond structures. And the whole family would camp out for this feast. And the kids are like, uh, my Xbox is in the house. What gives? You know? And mom and dad were like, hey, look, our forefathers didn't have 
an Xbox. They didn't have a house. They lived for 40 years in the wilderness. And it was kind of like we are living right now like this. And we want to look back to God's faithfulness and look forward to his provision. And we're going to look forward believing. And of course, all of these things look forward to Jesus as the Messiah. Now, the most significant for our purposes and understanding is that there was also a huge involvement of light. Light. You see, there was these enormous candelabras, gigantic candelabras that were set up in an area of the temple complex known as the Court of the Women. And of course, you know, back then there was the Court of the Gentiles, and Gentiles could only go so far. But then women uh, who were Jews could go past the Court of the Gentiles, and, and so could men, of course, into this area. But then only men could go past it to the next checkpoint. And, and the men could go past it to the next checkpoint, but, but then only the priests could go past that one. So, and, and then past the temple area, there was uh, an even holier place where only the high priest could go. And he could only go in once a year. And he had to wear bells because you're like, why would he have to wear bells? Uh, he also had a rope tied to his ankle because if he had any unconfessed sin in his life, if he went into the Holy of Holies with an unconfessed sin, he would die on the spot. And they would stop hearing the bells jingling. And they would pull him out with the rope on his foot, right? So this, this, oh, this is not OSHA certified. This is dangerous taking this job, man. I mean, the perils. They say in America, the most dangerous job is being a commercial fisherman or being a lumberjack. I'm going to put high priest above either of those things. You know what I'm saying? So anyhow, so there's all these different areas. Well, the, the court of the, the women, every Jew could go into. So it was a, a way, a, a very much a common area. And that's where they had all the offering boxes. And it, they, they nicknamed it the treasury. OK, so in the treasury area, it was one of the biggest areas. Uh, they had these enormous golden candelabras with a ton of different torches that would be off of them. And at a certain point in the uh, celebration, they would light them all up. They would, they would light up every single one of them. And, and, and it often happened in a, the most significant way on the final night of the feast, uh, the final night of the Feast of Tabernacles. They had something called the Illumination Ceremony. And William Barclay describes it this way. He says, they sent these candelabras, sent such a blaze of light throughout Jerusalem that every courtyard was lit up with their brilliance. So they were massive. And of course, they built with limestone. So you can just, white limestone, you can just imagine the flickering of the light off of all these stones. And it just would have been beautiful because they didn't have a lot of com competing light in that day. There wasn't electric light bulbs or LEDs anywhere. So they waited till nighttime. And then they, when they lit this thing up, it was like the pyrotechnic display of all displays. And it would have been magnificent. Now get this, everybody then, once they were lit uh, on this night, would get torches. And they would sing and dance and praise God till the rooster crowed. I mean, this is like a sanctified Burning Man Coachella for Jesus. I mean, it just seems awesome. Every description I read of it, I'm like, can I go to that? That sounds lit, right? So, so it, it, it was just, it was going off. This thing was going, right? Now, now check this out. Now, 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 we're told Jesus said these words where? John chapter uh, 8, verse 20 tells us exactly where he was when he said them. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, meaning exactly in the vicinity of these giant candelabras. Only if you read John 7, 53 and 8, verse 1, you will see that it was early in the morning than the, on the day after the big party. The rooster had crowed. The, the torches were all extinguished. And the, the candelabras had burnt out. Now, is there anything more depressing in the whole world as picking up the remnants of last night's firecrackers on the 5th of July. 
all your bad decisions, all your bad decisions and wasted money is just all, that's just the least enjoyable job. Maybe second to it would be taking down the Christmas tree. Oh, how many times have you thrown it away with the lights on because you just couldn't stomach anybody with me? I know that's not good for the environment, but I've done it. I have done it. I have done it. I have done it, right? Because it's just the, the party's over. There's, there's no fun when the party's over. And sometimes the sadness that we feel in those events, I think, is because we perhaps were hoping that those holidays would give a little bit more magic than they were capable of giving. And we, we were hoping, perhaps, that they would be the bread that would satisfy us. And we were looking to them in that way. And I love that Jesus was so wise as they were pointing to the past faithfulness of God, which, of course, the, the candelabras, in case you didn't connect the two from the, the book of Exodus, which we've been talking about, it also looked back to a significant thing that Exodus tells us happened. In the wilderness wanderings, the Lord went ahead of them, guiding them during the day with a pillar of cloud, providing light for them at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. So that's awesome. God just lit up the sky with fire. And so they were looking back to how God provided light for them, but they were begging God in the coming days to provide fire for them. And, and, and when the fire went out, they, they were left there standing there realizing God hadn't answered our prayers yet. And the sense of, uh, uh, and it was at that moment that Jesus stood next to the candelabra and said, I am the light of the world. I am. I am. Ego, Emi, the light of the world. I am. I am the light of the world. You don't have to walk in darkness. I have light. You don't have to be empty. I have life. You don't have to be sad and lonely. I have meaning. You don't have to be a person without a sense of mission. I have joy and joy I want to give you to overflowing and Zoe life to the full, not just biological life, but eternal life. I'm the light of life. Now, whew, does that not just come to life when you picture Jesus in the moment? Because not just the metaphor was rich, but the actual magnitude of the moment was literally perfect. And, and there's, there's a third thing I think that we need to pull away from this, and that is in the second half of the verse. So let's read it one more time. The second half only, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. We got that. But then he said, he who follows me, he who follows me. He who follows me, meaning I'm the light of the world, but the light coming to you is not automatic. You don't just get the light for, for, being, for breathing air. I'm the light of the world, but he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, in the wilderness wanderings, they had to follow the pillar of fire. When it moved, they were supposed to move. So that's the first way that, that we tap into our mission. Here's this epic metaphor, and it's even more rich because of the magnitude. But then in it, we find an assignment. Our mission, if we choose to accept it, is A, to follow him. We have to follow the light. 
Jesus, again and again and again, equated being a believer to being a follower. He said to the fishermen, he said to the tax collector, he would say to those, follow me, follow me. And to a great degree, with a wide net, to every Jesus follower who is not called to leave their day job, who's not called to leave work, who's called to be a teacher, called to be a ski instructor, called to be a baker, called to be a firefighter, called to be a mayor, called to be an actor. He said, take up your cross and follow me. You see, we're to follow the light. We're to believe Jesus is is who he said he is, and we're to follow after him, to follow in his footsteps, to do what he tells us to do, regardless of how we feel, to follow the light. And if we follow the light, we will not walk in darkness. We will have the light of life. Why? Because if we're with Jesus and he's light, we'll always have light. If we're with Jesus and he has light, we don't have to go looking for light somewhere. We just got to follow Jesus. Psalm 36 puts it this way. With you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. So we're to follow Jesus, to follow the light. That's our mission. There's a second aspect to it. We're to not trust our eyesight. Follow the light, that's our mission, and not trust our own eyesight. Now, there are many interesting things to me about light. I've been studying about it. I'm fascinated about it. Uh, I found out that one third of the American population uh, sneezes when they are exposed to the sun. If, the sun's, if there's a, a sudden sunburst and the clouds come out, one third of them, anybody with me in church, every location? OK, yeah, that's roughly about a third of us. That's incredible. Uh, and I, every location, I'm, I'm assuming that's true. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming in Salt Lake City, there are some sneezy, sneezy citizens there. When the sun comes, it's just scratch you, right? Uh, there's not a power of suggestion on sneezing, and that's good. Because if you say the word sneeze, no one sneezes. But if you say the word yawn, they say that a lot of people, and it's happening around you right now. The power of suggestion of saying the word John is incredible. It's one of the most contagious things on planet Earth. So uh, interestingly enough, uh, there's, there's more. That's, that has nothing to do with my sermon. That's just interesting to me. I also think it's interesting that you can see light from far away. Uh, so for example, if you were in a wilderness situation, but you brought a flint with you, which you should, if you were to shoot the flint off at night, just over and over again, that can be seen for three miles away. So they say in a situation where you have no ability to rescue yourself, even just the smallest flint can be seen for up to three miles. So that's interesting. Uh, it's also interesting to me that light is very, very fast. You're like, of course, of course it is. It's very, very fast. But it's fascinating how fast it is that it takes a long time to get to us. They say the light that we see now, when you go outside and look at the sun, it left the sun just over eight minutes ago. Wow. Eight minutes ago. Which means if and when the sun burns up, we won't know about it for 10 minutes. I mean, it's crazy to think about it, right? The world's over, but you don't even know. You're still making a cappuccino, right? You have no idea, right? You're, you're just typing an email. You have no idea that, that it's, all, it's, all, it's all over. Um, and then that's, of course, because the sun is 93 million miles away. So even though light travels 186,000 miles per second, it's going to take a bit to get to you, even when it's on its final last race. With love, sun. Peace out, suckers. I'm out of here. And, and you won't know till it's over. But out of all those things, my favorite thing about light is the fact that so much of light is invisible to our eyes. So much of light is actually invisible to our eyes. How much, you said? They say visible light makes up only a tiny, tenth of a billionth of the electromagnetic spectrum. And the electromagnetic spectrum is what light is a part of. And visible light is just a small portion of that. There's actually more light than what we know of as white light. Now, white light, of course, you know, if you take a prism, uh, you figure out that uh, out of the prism comes what we thank you, Isaac Newton, know of as the seven 
colors. Uh, they say, I have them written on the back here, it's red, it's orange. You're like, you need that for that? Yeah, well, pray for me. Red and orange and yellow and green and blue and indigo and violet. And that all comes out of a prism. When white light goes into it, these seven colors go out. But in 1880, a man named uh, William Herschel, he was projecting a prism. So imagine this is the prism that, that shined out the rainbow. And he was investigating the prism. And he was taking a thermometer. And he was measuring the heat in the area on the, the right side of violet and on the left side of red. And he found out that even though there was nothing visible happening there, that there was a temperature difference. So obviously, something was going on there. And so he chose to call beyond red infrared. And he chose to call above violet ultraviolet. Now, some of you understand that there's, there's, there's a lot that happens out there. Uh, and we can't see it. But when the white light turns into the seven, there's actually a whole lot more than, than just that because of ultraviolet and infrared. By the way, it's creepy. Pit vipers can see infrared, and bees can see ultraviolet. That's interesting. Uh, this light here can shine an ultraviolet light. We can't see ultraviolet. But the way black lights work, if you ever remember going roller skating as a kid, right? the way black light works is it contains ultraviolet light. And when it, though we can't see it, comes in, something visible goes out. So if I were to take and write on here with a Sharpie, you can't see that very well. But if you look at it under ultraviolet light, something invisible going in causes something wow. visible, that was highly visible, to come out. And so what I love about light is that it's a perfect parallel for our journey of faith. For does not 2 Corinthians tell us, we do not walk by sight, we walk by faith. Meaning all that's there isn't seen by our human eyes. So as we follow Jesus, he's going to tell us things and help us to see things that we can't see in the natural. We can't see in our normal, everyday abilities that he's able to show to us. When his invisible power comes into us, we will be able to, by faith, see invisible things that are unnaturally uh, apparent to us. So I think it's just an amazing parallel to walk with Jesus, to walk by faith, to not look at our job and just see our job, but to look at it through his eyes and to trust that his invisible power going in will cause invisible things to become visible to us, right? Ultra sight that's always happening. Oh, by the way, this will, this will change how you look at people. Because you won't just look at normal people. You'll look at people and see the glory of God inside of them. And here's the interesting thing. All of you, if you look around at each other, person sitting next to you, people sitting around you, every single one of you is glowing. And I'm glowing, and we're all glowing. It has been scientifically proven that every single human body, listen to me, puts off a bioluminescent glow. But it's a 1,000 times weaker than our eyes' ability to see it. But if you look at people and, 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 and you could see all the light that's actually there being put off our bodies, we're, we're brightest at our heads, of course, where there's more blood. But, but if you were to look at people and see them how God sees them, you would see Christ in them, the hope of glory. Even people who don't know Jesus, you would see what God intends them to be when they have the light of life inside of their eyes. Now, as we wrap this all up and we're getting real close and and I just want to say this. The problem with all of this is that there's a flip side to it. And the tension is light isn't just wonderful. It's also dangerous. It's actually deadly. 
Light isn't just wonderful, it's also very dangerous. You see, the same light that leads to life and light and happiness is the same light that can take it away. We need light to have life, but if you have prolonged exposure to light, it leads to cancer. If you were able to go beyond our atmosphere, it would be instantly deadly to you. In outer space, you jump out of your spacesuit, your tears and uh, your, your sweat will boil. And, and you just think about what, what would happen with the sun coming to you. So what brings light can also take life. What brings life can take life. What brings sight? The sun. You wouldn't see anything if it weren't for light bouncing off of the source to the surface to us. Yet, if you were to stare at the sun, it would fry your optic nerve. And the same light that gives sight would take sight. So it is with pleasure. It feels great to get some sun just for a second. Just give me a minute of sunshine, right? But that sun can also burn your skin if you're not careful. And here, here's the thing. You can realize, I need light because I can't see what I look like. But if you get too much light in a dressing room, I don't, give me a dimly lit dressing room every day. I want to feel great just for a minute. Give me a Give me, just, I, I look so good in low light. You know what I'm saying? I, I just, when, when the light comes on, you're like, oh, the same light that made you feel good now makes you feel bad. If you see yourself really, you're like, that's what I look like? That's discouraging. <laughs> What's the point? The point is the metaphor applies in this way too. That which we need the most is God. But if we were actually to stand before God, he dwells in unapproachable light. All of us as sinners, it would we die on the spot. That's why Moses, who asked God, show me your glory, was told this. Look what God told to Moses. He said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. It would, it would fry you. That which you desperately need, you are also incapable of receiving and living. And so it is. Well, all of us are groaning for God. But that which we need the most, we are also incapable of. We cannot live with God. There's a separation between us because of our sin. And we, we would not live, we would not survive his glory and his power and his holiness and his wrath and his justice. But that's why in his mercy, he sent his son, Jesus. And his son becoming veiled, the, the pillar of fire becoming veiled by, by human flesh, because that's what happened. Jesus Christ was, was God's glory, God's light, but veiled. And, and you got a sneak, a sneak peek of that when on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know the story in the Gospels. He took Peter, James, and John on the high mountain. And what does the Bible say? He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His sun clothes became white as light. You're like, what's the, diff what's the big deal? That happened to Moses. No, no. Moses was the moon. When Moses went up on the mountain with God, he, was just, he got to see a glimpse of God's glory. He shined because he was reflecting the light. Jesus was the source of that light. Yeah. He was, the light was shining out of him. It was radiating out of him. When just for a moment, he showed us a glimpse of his true self. Now, here's, here's the beauty. The beauty is the way Moses got to even see what he did that day, though it was imperfect, was God said, here's what I'll do. I'll hide you behind a rock. And if you hide behind this rock, I will pass by. And my glory will hit the rock and not kill you. But you'll just get to see a bit of it because you're, you're there for the, the moment. And that is why Jesus came. We couldn't stand before God on our own. We couldn't go to heaven on our own. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ. And if we hide behind the one who is not only the light of the world, but also is a rock, 
He'll tuck us safely in the cleft of the rock and God's glory can't hurt us because we are in Christ. And that's the power of the gospel is that God sent his son Jesus to do for us what we can never do for ourselves, to pay for our sins and to live to tell the story about it. And if we come to him, we don't have to walk in darkness and shame and secrets and guilt and, and hidden things. We can live a life in the light. And I pray that for each of you who have never made a decision to give your lives to Christ. And that's an open opportunity to every single person listening to this message. For those of us who already are believers, we get to, 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 to live to this message walking in the light each day. Maybe there's some things in our lives we need to come clean to someone in our life to and not live that tension of carrying a secret, but get that out in the open so we can be healed. And that's why our small groups in our church are so important. If you're watching on television, getting into a local church and being in a small group is so incredibly important. But but, but for those of us who are here and you've never given your heart to Jesus, today is the day and now is the time. God sent his son to die for you. He rose from the dead. And, 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 and he is today, right now, in this moment, knocking on the door of your heart. And if you open the door of your heart, he will come into your life and make it his home and change you and make you new and give you the hope of heaven and give you peace while you live here on this earth. And we're going to bow our heads right now, every location, all of us together praying as we give those an opportunity to surrender their hearts to God. Thank you, Jesus, for this message. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the truth of your word. You're telling us that you're the light of the world and we don't have to live in darkness. We can have that light. And I pray right now for anybody who is ready to give their heart to you, who's empty and guilty and lost and afraid, but doesn't need to be one more day longer because of your spirit, even right now, making it possible for them to see you with every head bowed and every eye closed, all of us praying and thinking about just where we're at with God, I believe many of you were drawn here for this moment because God loves you, wants to save you, wants to know you. I'm going to ask you if you're ready to make that decision to pray with me. I'm going to pray just a simple prayer out loud. And if you're ready to give your heart to Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud right where you are. I'm going to ask the church family to pray this prayer with us, showing that we're all together in this decision, meaning we have your back as you choose to give your heart to Jesus. Pray this prayer. Mean it in your heart. God will hear you. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself. Please come into my heart. Make me new. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. What an incredible message. Thank you so much for joining us in this teaching from Fresh Life Church. If during this message you felt led to make the decision to follow Christ, we'd love to send you a 21-day devotional that goes through the book of John that Pastor Levi wrote. And you can also register your decision on our website, freshlife.church. Just click the Know God tab and uh, we'd love to get connected with you. If you've been impacted at all through what God is doing here at Fresh Life Church, we would absolutely love to hear from you. Um, all you gotta do is click the Share Your Story tab at the top of our website, or you can email us at story at freshlife.church and share how God is using this work to impact your life. And finally, if you'd like to partner with us financially um, and support the things that God is doing in and through this house, you can text the word FRESH to 45777. You can click the Give button, at freshlife.church, or you can give via the Fresh Life app. Thank you so much for watching.